Thank you, too. Well, good morning. Thank you for that welcome, and I appreciate seeing all of these faces here today. I want to wish you a warm welcome, and if you're new here, haven't been here before, uh, welcome as well, and for those of you joining online, welcome, thanks for tuning in. And our text today, as Pastor had mentioned, will be Revelation chapter 12, so if you'd like to turn there, and while you're doing so, I'll go ahead and open us up in prayer. Father God, again, I just want to thank you so much for this time, Lord. Thank you for this building, Lord, as we just heard you bring the rains as it was hitting the roof a few minutes ago. Lord, we're just reminded of how great you are and your provisions and how you just uh, provide this warm, dry place for us to come in and, Lord, just fellowship with one another and to lift our voices up in worship to you and you alone. And Father, now as we have time, Lord, to get into your word, to study it, Father, I would pray that the Holy Spirit, Lord, just moves in a mighty way here today, Lord, that as our hearts are prepared through not only worship of song, but also worship of uh, just communion, Lord, and us taking a moment out of our busy weeks to just give you, Jesus, the remembrance, Lord, that you've asked us to do for you. And Lord, as we just have had our hearts tenderized, Lord, and we're ready to receive your word, Lord, would you just take over, take over this service, Father, and put your words in my mouth and from my lips, Lord, to the hearts of the people, Lord God. That's our prayer. May you be edified and glorified, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, again, thank you for being here today. Great crowd today. Uh, if you have been coming and joining us on Thursday nights, we have been having a great time going through the book of Revelation. And we are continuing that series uh, this morning, as you know, uh, with the weather that we've been having here. It's a little bit abnormal for us. I mean, we're used to rain, but four or five inches of snow, that, that doesn't jive here. Uh, would you agree? Uh, perhaps driving and, and getting to and from work and that sort of thing to the store might have been challenging uh, to you this week. And so with that in mind and everything, with the safety of the road conditions and for the safety of the flock, um, we decided to go ahead and cancel church Thursday night, which would have put us in Revelation chapter 12. So uh, pastor had asked me, hey, you want to just teach Revelation 12 Sunday morning? I said, yes, yes, that'd be fun. So we have a continuation of our Thursday night study here this morning. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. You know, speaking of snow, kind of interesting. I'm from Colorado. Many of you know that. And so when my parents and I moved out here to California to Crescent City uh, in 1989, as we're being shown properties and, and that sort of thing, uh, we, had, we had actually been taken out to the property that uh, my parents had actually purchased. And um, when we did, you know, the real estate lady, she's like, now I know you're from Colorado and everything, but she goes, trust me, it never snows here. It's okay, you're from Colorado, you're not gonna see that anymore, that stuff, so it never snows here. And uh, you know, indeed, I think we've had some snow here and there, but it never really sticks. But man, this last week, uh, as it was snowing Thursday and it was piling up in the driveway and on the yard, I was like, wow. So, of course, I had to take a couple of pictures, my backyard, my front yard, and I sent it to my sister and my mom who live in Colorado. And uh, I said, check this out. 
I said, hey, mom, it never snows here. Remember? And she sent back laughing, yes, I remember that vividly. And that lady, uh, you know, just a couple of weeks later, we got six inches that year we moved here in 89. So we just kind of chuckled. It's been a family joke all these years. We just kind of laugh. It never snows here uh, until that winter on the beach, no less. Kind of an unusual thing. We worship a triune God, the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Revelation chapter 12 and 13, we are going to be introduced to a evil counterpart to that Trinity. The title of today's message is Enter the Dragon. Taking a little bit of liberty, if you would allow me to, from Bruce Lee. But he will be one of the main characters in our chapter today, in, in chapter 12. And the dragon, we will identify who that is. But in, chapters, in chapter 13, we'll be introduced to the beast, which is the Antichrist, and also the false prophet. So a demonic or an evil counterpart to the Holy Trinity, the one we worship. Satan, the dragon, of course, being the evil counterpart to God. The beast or the Antichrist, as we'll see in chapter 13, would be the evil counterpart to Jesus, and of course, the false prophet, the evil counterpart to the Holy Spirit. And so that will be uh, our text here today in chapter 12. We're, we're going to spend a little bit of time finding out about Satan, about who he is, and what he is about. Now, we don't usually give a lot of attention or time devoted to Satan. That's not what we do. But today we're going to for two reasons. One, because he comes up in our text. We don't give a lot of time or credit, like I said, devoted to our enemy or to Satan uh, when we gather together. Um, but when he comes up in Scripture and when he comes up in our text, we must. And also, too, because Paul tells us we're not to be ignorant of who our enemy is, nor his devices. Found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. We're not to be ignorant of who he is, and we're not to be ignorant of his devices. In other words, how he attacks us and how he goes after us. And not just us, but even on a higher level, a political, global level. We're living in very exciting times. Would you agree? We're living, living in very unusual times, but we're living in times that I believe as a Christian are very exciting. We can sometimes watch the news and get down and disappointed and frustrated perhaps, but if we can clear that out of the way, what we see and what we understand is that there are forces moving in this world supernaturally. Would you agree? There are things moving, and there's a reason why. is because the enemy knows that his time is short, and the end is very near. We read that in our scripture this morning from our bulletin. The time is near. Time is drawing to an end and to a close. And for you and I, we can be excited. Why? Because we have an eternal hope. God sent his son Jesus to die 
on the cross to shed his blood for you and I. We just celebrated that when we did communion a few moments ago. As my dear brother Dale mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, that the blood of Jesus was the most amazing, beautiful commodity to ever hit this planet. When he said those words, I was like, wow. Couldn't be better said. Amen? Jesus provided a way for you and I to be in heaven with him forever. And as we've been going through the book of Revelation, what we've discovered is that it's a wonderful, amazing book, actually easy to understand. One that a lot of people steer away from because of the language and the literature and how it's written. And, and we're going to experience a little bit about that today in chapter 12. Very graphic, if you will. But Revelation is not designed to confound us and confuse us. It's actually the revealing, what the word means, the revealing of Jesus Christ himself in his present state, meaning the God Almighty, the first and the last. We see him in his triumphant state in this book. He reveals that to John. John, taken, he was boiled in oil. It didn't kill him. The, the Roman Empire had declared war on the Christian, and so John being a, a, a heading or a leader in that movement, they took him to shut him up. They tried to kill him and boil him in oil. It didn't work, so what did they do? They banished him, and they banished him to the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, which was not a very tropical, beautiful island. It was actually very rocky, dry, and barren. That's what they did with those prisoners. They would just banish them, kick them loose, and out they go, and they could fend for themselves eventually just to die a, a natural death, if you want to call that natural. But it was there in that dry, rocky, barren time of his life, after already you know, perhaps tried to, they, they tried to kill him. That didn't work. After that part of his life, that's where Jesus spoke to him and gave him the vision or the, the, the vision of the book that we are now studying. And we've been going through that. And what we've discovered is that as we go through the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, chronologically, we understand how things are unfolding, and we understand and we see the work of Jesus Christ, not just in times of today, but even in times in our future, future events that will unfold, and things that were in this book that have mystified people, Bible scholars, for years and for centuries. Today, in this day, you and I, were seeing those things become more and more revealed. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. Chapter 12 is very interesting. It's very fascinating. And there's a lot in there. I have, my margins are sprinkled with passages and scriptures because this chapter actually reaches and has deep ties into other areas of scripture. And so I'm going to do my best to try to uh, get us through the chapter and hit the high points the best I can. But you may not make the 210 showing of the movie, just to let you know. Uh, I'm kidding. That's basically our introduction. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, 
a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. That's the first sign we see in this chapter. A woman clothed with the sun, the moon at her feet, a garland of 12 stars on her head. And this woman is pregnant and crying out in the labor of the whole child birthing process. Who is this woman? Some scholars and some uh, people have believed that this is uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, and that does have relevance because, you know, Mary being pregnant with the one, Jesus himself, being pregnant, but as we're going to see, let's move on in the verse. This will make more sense as we do. Verse 3, join me. The second sign, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Wow. Remember I told you we'd see some graphic literature? Is that graphic enough for you? I think that meets it. That meets the mark. The picture, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon at her feet, the, a, a garland of 12 stars, but standing before her, a fiery red dragon with seven heads. Graphic picture. And this woman is pregnant with child and moans and groans and cries out in the pains of the childbearing process and is about to give birth, and the dragon is there waiting to devour the child. Who would write such a thing? Well, John would, because that's what he's seeing. John is write, writing down what the Lord is revealing to him. Now, as I mentioned earlier, some believe that the woman is, is Mary, and the reason why they're thinking that or there could be relevance to that is because of what was happening in that day. As Mary was with child, having Jesus um, about ready to give birth to Jesus, what was going on? A dragon-like Herod was there ready to annihilate any potential upcoming ruler that would threaten his kingdom or his throne. He had been listening and understanding the ancient prophecies that one would come, a ruler would come, and so that threatened him. So I could see where they would get there understanding that, but I don't believe that what we're talking about here with the woman is Mary. Because you see, this event, we're told, is where? Taking place, back to verse 1, the sign appeared in heaven. 
See, it's grander than that. It's larger than that. And even though, yes, those times were very tumultuous for, for Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus being born, we know that story. We study it in depth every year at Christmas time. But this is bigger than that. It's, it's grander. In Genesis chapter 37, I think is the key to understanding this. If you remember that, you students can write this down. Genesis chapter 37. God is speaking to Joseph. And he's doing so through dreams. And Joe was having these dreams. And he would chase out to his older brothers. And he was kind of like the pipsqueak. Get out of here. You know, go back home. Hey, no, no, but I got to tell you, I had another dream. He'd already had some dreams. And they're like, man, be quiet. And um, he had told another dream. And the dream that he told his brothers and his father and mother was that I dreamt that the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to me. God was speaking to Joseph. And indeed, as the father heard that dream, he's like, Joe, come on. What Are you telling me that you, me and your mother and all of your brothers are going to bow down to you? And indeed, guess what? It was prophetic. Because indeed, there would come a time when they actually would. As Joseph was lifted up in power in Egypt, And no one was above him in power except Pharaoh himself. And you guys, you know the rest of that story. But what it is, is a picture of future Israel. Those brothers would then become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's what our picture is today. The woman is Israel. And indeed, the one, capital O, would come through Israel, Jesus, and The dragon is there waiting. And if we could just kind of peel back the dimensions of the real world, the one we live in, and see the demonic forces, this is perhaps what John is seeing, this vivid uh, event unfolding before him. And he's writing it down. He's seeing it all. And who is there ready to devour the child? It says there, a great fiery red dragon. He's fiery red. In the Greek text, the picture there is that he's blood red. Even more graphic than that. Why is he blood red? Because he's a murderer and an annihilator. And those who he kills, that blood spatters upon him. And that's what makes him red. He's blood red because that's who he is. He's a murderer, an annihilator, He wants to devour you, and he wants to devour me. He never has a good day. He's not saying, oh, good, the sun's out, I'll give him a break. No, he's after you and me. We have targets on our backs, and he's a murderer. The the blood spatters upon him as he does that, making him fiery red, blood red. Continuing on, it says he has seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns on his head or on those heads. The seven heads speak of the future city 
in which the Antichrist will set up his reign and his rule. The seven heads are literally the city of seven hills or the city of seven mountains. We read a portion of that in our scripture reading today on your bulletins there. Where is the city of seven hills, you ask? Well, if you Google it, because Google's never wrong, by the way. Did you guys know that? No, it is quite certainly the city of Rome. The Antichrist will set up his rule and his reign in that city because there will be a revived Roman Empire in that day. And he will set up his rule from the city of seven hills from Rome. We read on there that it says here that he has ten horns and seven crowns or diadems on his heads. The ten horns, horns, especially in the Old Testament, always speak of kings. So there will be a revived Roman Empire, and just like the seven heads point us to a geographical location, the city of seven hills or Rome, the ten crowns, or excuse me, the ten horns point to a ten country or ten uh, nation confederacy that will be uh, united and put together to rule for the Antichrist and his forces. Now, we could spend hours going deep into that study, but my recommendation to you would be to read the book of Daniel, specifically chapter 2. You can write that down. And that paints a, a more uh, clearer picture, perhaps, for and reinforces what we're actually talking about today. Daniel is, by the way, the key that unlocks Revelation. So maybe after Revelation, we need to do a Daniel study, perhaps. We'll see how the Lord leads. But be that as it may, you will see a statue, and the ten toes on that statue is representative of this future coming ten-nation confederacy that is put together. And that Antichrist will be powered by the dragon. Now, anytime from here on throughout the book of Revelation, the dragon always refers to Satan. Okay. So the picture there, here we are again, the woman clothed with the sun, moon at her feet, a garland of 12 stars. We know that's Israel pregnant with the one as she's about ready to give birth. The dragon is there waiting to devour the, the one that is being born. Verse four, we get a glimpse of his past, his being Satan. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. Verse 5, she bore a male child, C is capitalized there, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. The child is born. And just about the time he is, the, the dragon is there ready to devour. But before he can, Jesus is caught up into heaven. Caught up, that language you might remember. You and I will one day be caught up too. In a billionth of a second, you might remember that teaching. So fast, we'll be raptured as well. And indeed, Jesus did ascend into heaven. Oh, but it wasn't without 
tribulations, and it wasn't without trials. Jesus suffered more than any human being has ever suffered in history during his time on this earth. And Satan was at the head of that, trying to devour him, trying to destroy him, trying to consume him, but he couldn't do it. His efforts were thwarted. They were stopped. Why? Because God has a bigger plan. And Satan is limited in his time, and he's limited in his ability. Oh, he's powerful, and he can do great, great damage. But I think it's appropriate because if we, we want to look at who he is, when we covered chapter 9, we kind of fast-forwarded to this chapter. Those of you who were with us that night, you might remember. Chapter 9 spoke of a star that was fallen, and that star had the key to the bottomless pit. And so during that study, we kind of fast-forwarded to this chapter to find out who was this guy, this Satan. What happened? Well, I think it's appropriate we go back and just refresh our memory. So would you do that with me? Let's turn back to the book of Isaiah. What do you mean he fell? What do you mean his tail drew a third of the stars? This is very graphic and picturesque literature and dialogue that we're trying to make sense of, but the Bible always interprets the Bible. So let's go back and see what we're talking about here. You might remember this as we covered this recently, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How you are fallen. From heaven, O oh, Lucifer, son of the morning. That was his original name in heaven, Lucifer, before his fallen state. Son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, a location that was exclusively for God himself. He says, I will ascend there. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. These guys have a problem. He's got a major problem. He's putting himself in the place of God. Look at me. I should have that. I should be able to ascend there. I, I, I will. And you know what's interesting? Recently learned this. If you go back to Genesis and read the account of the Tower of Babel, there was one language. There was one people, one tongue, and what did they say? Let us, let us, let us, just like Satan here, I will, I will. It's interesting. Just a side note, because the spirit of the Tower of Babel is alive and well today. The world has a desire to unite, 
and come together as one. To be borderless. All peoples coming together and putting themselves in the place to make a name for themselves. That spirit is alive and well today. And there's movements in the world as we speak politically, economically, uh, nations, governments are working toward something that they may not even know they're doing. But it's that old spirit of Babel. We will come together. Let us make a name for ourselves. We will be in control of our lives and our destiny. They're taking themselves and placing themselves in the place of God. And that is very dangerous. And we'll talk more about that in future chapters. Verse 15. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Now watch this. And those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? It says there that we will gaze, we will have an opportunity someday, we will see him in his fallen, wretched, decrepit state. And it says there that we, we will look at him we will gaze at him. The, the language there literally means that we will squint. Narrowly, we'll, we'll, you know, it's like we'll, we'll be confounded, we'll be confused, we'll be blown away. That's him? That's the one that shook nations? You're the man? You're the, you're the one that kept me in depression? You? We'll, we'll look Squint, well, squint, narrowly, looking at him. You're the one that chained me in my addictions? Who wrecked my family? You. You're the one. We'll see him in that state, and we will be amazed. We'll be blown away. How could you? Could you imagine? What if we had that perspective right now? <laughs> Satan, come on. You. What are you trying to do? You, you're the one trying to. Come on. Because we eventually will see him in that state and we'll be amazed. We'll be blown away. You're the one. Come on. If we had that right now, how cool would that be? Get out of here. Not in your power, by the way. Alone? No. You are no match. You're no match for our enemy. I am no match alone. That's why I found it so awesome last week when Pastor was teaching. Second Kings, I believe. First. I'm looking forward to second. We went to a place in Ephesians chapter 6 where it says, put on the whole armor of God. A random man shot a random arrow into a random crowd, and guess who he hit? the king, right between the joints of the armor. Oh, no one could have made that shot. That shot was destiny. That was a prophetic thing that, that God had already prof prophesied through the prophet that was going to happen, and it did. And I, I, I listened to that, and I thought, wow. 
but he had armor. He, he had the armor. It just happened to hit a, a weak spot. And then as John came up and gave the benediction, he said, he had mentioned, uh, you know, a chink in the armor is what did it. And I thought, wow. Are there any chinks in my armor? Because I can put on my armor, but are there weaknesses that I'm prone to? Is there a chink in my armor? Is there a, a, a section of armor that's prone to the fiery darts that we know get shot from our enemy? And then I thought about this. What does the passage actually say? It says, put on the whole armor of God. And I thought, wow. Not only do you put on the armor, because there are joints and perhaps weaknesses, right, in my armor. I have it on. So did the king. But where was his shield? Now, he, he may have had it. He may have not. The text doesn't tell us back in 1 Kings, but it doesn't mention it. it made me think about, man, I, I need my shield too, my shield of faith. I have my armor. Whew, but boy, there's chinks. Why? Because I'm a fallen man. I have weaknesses. I'm prone to things in the flesh that I can't help, and you too. But it says, put on the whole armor of God. I have my armor, okay, with chinks and all. But I also have my shield of faith. Oh, Lord, I'm weak, but you are strong. To shield against those fiery darts that the enemy might shoot at me. You know, it's not a, hey, just throw the helmet on, you're good. You're good. You'll be fine. Got the helmet. Or nah, just throw the armor. No. The whole armor of God. The armor, the shield, the helmet. I mean, everything. The, the sword of the word. I want it all. That's how we defeat the enemy. Through, through the armor of God. The whole armor of God. And letting God do our battles for us and fight for us. Amen. That is the only way. And then through that perspective, we can go, man, pfft. not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is and what he's already done. Amen? What if we had that perspective now? <sighs> Lord, may we have it. Lord, give it to us. Let's look at our next passage. Jump over to Ezekiel. We looked at this as well couple of weeks ago. Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28, we get another picture of who our enemy is and who he was. Chapter 28, we'll begin there in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel saying, son of man, another name for Ezekiel, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now, yes, speaking to a powerful king, the king of Tyre, but you have to understand that the, the message that we're about to read is actually being spoken to the power behind the king of Tyre. In other words, the king of Tyre was literally a personification of the evil that was being powered, none other than Satan himself. Now watch this. You were the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were perfect. You were beautiful. You were in Eden, the garden of God. 
Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were what? Created. He's a created being. And the day he was created, he was created. It, it, the description here, he's covered in, in all of these precious stones and diamonds. And it says there that the timbrels and pipes was prepared for you. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you, God says. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until what? Something happened. Iniquity was found in you. Oh, you were perfect. I created you. You were above all created beings. He was the worship leader in heaven. His body was an instrument. Hands of timbrels and pipes, organ pipes, if you will, for a voice. He was beautiful, perfect, and established by God himself until, oh, you messed up. Iniquity was found in you. Verse 16, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned, and therefore I cast you as a profane thing. Remember we did this? Just fling it off of you like something on your clothes, getting rid of it. That's what God did. Boom, you're out of here. You are out of here. Out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Very reminiscent of what we just read in a passage before. The gaze, the, the narrow squinting eyes in wonder. Like how are you the one that caused all of that carnage throughout history on planet Earth? Destroying, murdering devouring. Well, back to our text, you guys, back to chapter 12 of Revelation. That's who our enemy is. We saw a glimpse of who he was perfect in the way he was made, and now we see him. He's ready to just devour and to murder. Verse 6, so the woman, the, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now we have to remember that now we kind of whoop, time portal into the future. And here's one of the key things that you have to understand when reading the book of Revelation. And I have expressed this several times in our study on Thursday nights is that if you're trying to make sense of all of this in our time 
space continuum or time dimension timeline as we understand time, it's going to be more difficult. But if you look at it through the lens of God and from the vantage point that John was taken up to, to write and to pin these things, now all of a sudden it makes sense. Because God is outside of time. He doesn't exist in time. We do. And see, time never stops, does it? It just keeps going. It keeps going. It never stops. And we're in it. And we have a past, a present, and a future. And sometimes we try to make sense of, wait, Eden? Well, that was on the other side of the book. What do you mean you were in Eden, but now you're getting cast out? But that hasn't happened yet. See, we get chained up by our time lines that we make. But seeing it from God's perspective, oh, now we can get it. We kind of go into the past. We looked at Satan's past, who he was, and he was kicked out of heaven. And we're told, and we'll see here in the chapter, that his tail drew a third of the stars. We'll explain that in a minute. And he was cast down. And kings, you and I even, in the future, remember the proleptic word we, we learned a couple weeks ago? Proleptic meaning speaking of a future event as if it has already happened. That's another key element we have to keep in our minds when we're studying this book. It helps us understand. Now we're looking into the future here, and we see the woman escapes. She flees. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus actually speaks about this. I didn't mark it, so I'm going to have to beat you guys there. I probably won't, though, because my pages are so old. Remember those Bible drills when you were kids in Sunday school? You'd always try to cheat by putting your finger in the middle of the book. That way you could just go left or right. It was all about snacks. And you know what? Here's the deal. Th speaking of snacks, we never really grow up, do we? Because I'm still all about snacks. Love it. Now I'm buying those Atkins snacks, though. And it's like, really? It's just not the same as a Reese's peanut butter cup. You get the Atkins one, and it's like, I mean, it's there, but it's fake. They're lies. Donuts are lies. Getting old. Got to watch it. Matthew chapter 24. Let me see here. I want to get this right. Chapter 24, let's start there in verse 15. What does Jesus say here? Red letters. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What we're reading about where the woman flees and takes off, may she flee to the wilderness, that is exactly what Jesus is talking about here, that future event, the abomination of desolation, that future time when Daniel actually prophesies, again, read the book of Daniel, um, the Antichrist will go into a rebuilt temple, Jewish temple. It hasn't been built yet, but they're ready. We talked about that uh, in our last chapter. They are ready to build the temple. They have the money. They have the, the foundation stones. They have 
everything needed to do sacri uh, animal sacrifice and to carry on with the Levitical law and all of the ceremonies, they have everything they need. And when they're given the chance and the opportunity, that temple will go up literally almost overnight. It will be that fast. And that is going to be at the beginning of this time called the tribulation. You read about that in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And then halfway through the tribulation, three and a half years into it, guess what the Antichrist does? Because he's given permission. He's the one with the silver tongue or the ability, the charisma, the, the way to bring nations together and speak and allow the Jews to finally build their temple on the Temple Mount, where they can't right now. Oh, that's, that's, the Muslims have that nailed down. But he will be able to work out deals where the Jews will finally be able to build their temple. And then as soon as it's built, guess what the Antichrist does? He goes in and he desecrates the temple by walking into the Holy of Holies and demanding to be worshipped him and his image. And that's when the Jews' eyes are boom, opened. They see him for who he is. And what is Jesus saying? When that happens... That's a future event. He says, run, flee. Verse 16, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. He's saying, get out of here. Just a side note, you might want to write this down. Matthew chapter 24 speaks of the end days, the end times. Verses 1 through 14 speaks to all of the nations. But chapters 15 through 36 specifically speak to Israel. And that is another reason why we know the woman that we're talking about in Revelation chapter 12 is indeed Israel. Because it points us back to this prophecy that Jesus spoke of. And then, of course, verses 37 through 42 deal with the church. And I'll let you continue studying that on your own for the sake of time this morning. The woman flees to the wilderness. May she flee to the wilderness. There's a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. If you divide that into months, it's 42 months. And that equals three and a half years, three and a half years. Now, if you do the math on our calendar, 365, you'll get way off. You have to remember this is the Jewish calendar, the biblical calendar of a, three, a, a year of 360 days. It comes out to 3.5 years exactly. There's a place prepared for Israel that Israel will then be able to flee to and escape where is that place? I've taken the youth through this book many times, and it's an exciting portion of scripture because there is a place currently that has been reserved for this event. 
for Israel to escape to and be protected from the forces of the Antichrist. You can write this down, read it later. Isaiah chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, tells us exactly where they're going to be going. They're going to a place called Selah. And Selah means rock or Petra. And that is in Moab, which is modern-day Jordan. If you, later on, you want to Google images of Petra, you'll be amazed. It's still there. After all of these centuries, Petra has been reserved for this future coming event to protect Israel as they flee. The abomination of desecration, they see that, wow, get out of here. If you're in the field, don't go home to get your stuff. If you're on the roof, jump off. Well, it, if it's not too high. But don't go in and get your stuff. Get out now. Why? Because the fury of the dragon is going to be unleashed on the people, on Israel. And be chasing them down, as we're going to see in our future verses here. But now a flashback. Remember, God's outside of time, right? So we, he can tell the story the way he wants. And we're just along for the ride. Verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Satan declares war, and he gets about a third of the angels. The stars we know are angels. He gets a third of the angels to take his side. And Michael and his angels, the other two-thirds, war breaks out, and guess what? Out Satan goes. And his tail, the dragon, took a third of the stars. It means it took a third of the angels with him. And as they fell, they descended. Takes us all the way back to Genesis, where the earth was without void. And that's, that's a long study. But be that as it may, Satan falls, and so does a third of the angels. Lucifer, who was perfect, by the way, created with amazing beauty and talents, leading worship in heaven for eons and eons. Pride entered his heart, iniquity was found, and God said, you got to go. War breaks out, Michael says, see ya. It wasn't even a contest. And as Satan, Lucifer then becomes Satan or the devil, the murderous dragon that we see in our text, a third of the stars go with them. They turn in from angels into demons, the ones that study us on a daily basis and report back. Graphic. Verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. There's no, more, no longer room for you here. You got to go. War breaks out. He's kicked out. A third of the angels go with him. But he still has access to heaven. Satan has access to heaven. We know that from Job chapter 1. God does roll call. And all creation shows up, including Satan. He has to come. He's like, eh, 
I didn't get that invite. I'm just going to swipe that. Nope. <laughs> Got to go. So he has access to heaven. And while he's there, God says, hey, what have you been up to? Ah, you know, roaming around, seeing who I could devour and destroy. And you guys know the rest of the story. God says, if you consider my servant Job. Oh, yeah, but you protect him so well. How could anyone even get close? And God allows something very interesting to happen to Job, as you guys know the rest of the story. Incredible suffering and pain. Why? But here's the deal. Satan's limited. He says, do everything but take his life. You can't take his life. Okay. He has to obey. He's limited in his time and his power and what he can and cannot do to Job. And guess what? To you and me. He's limited. And I want you to tuck that away for a second. Keep that right up here. But he still has access to heaven. There's no longer a place for him there anymore, but he can still go. And that's why at the end of this book, we're going to find out, oh, Jesus sets up his, his uh, kingdom in Jerusalem, the millennium, a thousand years of peace. But then there's going to be a, a new earth. Oh, that we understand. Because like we just experienced last week, global warming is happening. It snowed four inches, but still, we, we can't escape the, the effects of global warming, which, by the way, I actually had high hopes of for Crescent City. Anyway, be that as it may. No, we understand why a new earth, why a new heaven? A new heaven, a new earth. The earth we get, new heaven, why? Because heaven's tainted. Because of the presence of Satan at any time he can go there. He can't stay, but he can go. One day there will be a new heaven, and he will never enter that. Then I heard a loud voice saying up in heaven, verse 10, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. He's a murderer. He's a devourer, and he is an accuser before God, day and night. Look at him. Did you hear what she just said? Look at her. Look at them. And they call themselves Christians. You know, that's what he's doing in your ear. He does that to you and me. He whispers, you call yourself a Christian, really? Did you just really say that? Did you really just do that? You. <laughs> and you're a Christian, right? You know, he accuses us, and he accuses us, it says here in our text, before God, day and night, the accuser of our brethren. And that's when he does that, you go, <laughs> not because you can, why? But because you put on the whole armor of God, and you said, you know what, get out of here. My salvation is sure. I've accepted Christ into my life and into my heart. His blood that entered this planet was the only blood that could save me, and he willingly shed that for me. I belong to him. The battle's already won. I just have to live through this time dimension I'm in. But once God says that's over, I'm in heaven with him. And by the way, where we're at in our chapter right now, where are we? We're in heaven. We're not here. 
We're not down in this earth right here. Where we're at in our chapter right now, chapter 12, we're in heaven with him. Jesus has come back and he says, come up here. And that's what happens. We get raptured out of this place. That's our hope. That's what we are so looking forward to. And we're so excited. Otherwise, if you look around the world today, do you see a lot of hope out there? That's what the world sees. They have hope in men. In other words, politicians or a leader or someone to come to the rescue. It's not going to happen that way. The one that will bring a rescue is Jesus Christ himself, folks. And that is it. And thank you for that amen. Praise the Lord. It's the truth, folks. And listen to this. He accused us day and night before God, verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. How do we overcome him? By the blood of the lamb. Again, it's not you. Again, it's not me. It's not my power. I am no match. I have to claim the blood of Jesus every single moment I'm awake. Lord, why am I suffering? Lord, why am I going through this? Oh. But at the end of the day, I can say, Lord, you know best. You have me suffering or going through this trial for a reason. And my prayer is that I would learn from it. Lord, what would you have me learn through this? Because I belong to you. I cannot be snatched out of his hand, and neither can you. Verse 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows his time, he has a short time. Oh, Satan's kicked out of heaven. His tail draws a third of the stars with them. They become demons and they're cast down, just like we read back in Isaiah and Ezekiel. And boy, when he comes down here, guess what? He's on a rampage of vengeance. And he wants to destroy you and me. He's been cast down because he knows his time is short. If you figure the... Earth, say creation happened six, 7,000 years ago. People try to, evolutionists, oh no, it came together, it was a glob, and then it, you know, and all the rest, billions of years ago. I don't believe that to be true. I don't think it lines up with scripture. We won't get into that whole study. But if you basically round it off and say about six, 7,000 years this planet's been in existence, guess what? That is nothing. That's nothing compared to eternity. Nothing. When I was a kid, I heard a pastor teach on this, the idea of eternity. And he kind of tried to put it into perspective, and I thought this was amazing. It always stuck with me. I've passed it on to the youth groups. And that is, if you had a steel ball the size of the earth, and you put an ant on its equator, and you sent that ant around that sphere of steel the size of the earth, and he did that. That's all he did. That's all he did for 
thousands and thousands and thousands of years to the point where finally he wore a hole or a trench so deep that he cuts that sphere in half. That's the beginning of eternity. Now, our minds can't really wrap around that thought, but that's the beginning of eternity. That's astounding. So 7,000 years, meh. That's a second or two. Satan knows his time is short. His, his time is coming to an end. And he is on a rampage to get as many people as he can, as many souls as he can. Verse 13. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Well, trying to devour the child didn't work. Why? Because we saw he was caught up just before it was to happen. Now, again, dissect into that time frame, and there was many trials, amen? And Satan was at the head of all of those. But he was not successful in devouring the child. Why? Because Jesus ascended. He was caught up to be with his father on the throne. Well, that didn't work. So guess what? Now I'll go after the woman. Israel, the people. And indeed, he has throughout history, has he not? His attempts to annihilate the Jews is evident not just in the Bible, but also even in secular history. Dates all the way back to Cain and Pharaoh, Haman, Herod, and even in most recent recollection of history, Hitler. Why? How come Ireland hasn't gone through all of that? Or name the country or the nation or the, uh, the, the people. Why is it that the Jews and Israel has been persecuted from day one all the way to even today? with anti-Semitic things that we're hearing, even in our news today. Why is it? You know why? Because Satan's at the head of it. This is a diabolic movement that the enemy is on a rampage because he knows his time is short. He's been cast down to this earth, and he is a murderer, a devourer, a false accuser, and he's on a rampage. And he's attacking even Israel, the woman, it says here. I didn't get the one that was born, so I'm going after the people that he calls the apple of his eye. You see, if he can annihilate the Jews, and if he can annihilate and get rid of Jerusalem, well, guess what? All of the future prophecies, the prophecy of Jesus coming back and setting up his kingdom, his millennial kingdom reign in Jerusalem, can't happen. You can surround that country and you can surround Jerusalem with as many nations as you want. Russia, Magog, Persia, Iran. You can go back to Ezekiel uh, 38 and you can read all about these countries coming together, Ethiopia, Libya, and they all surround them. And guess what? It's not going to happen. You want to know why? Because Satan is limited in what he can and cannot do. And God has a bigger plan. Amen. He's got a way bigger plan. 
And he lets Satan do a few things here and there and kind of get in trouble and cause trouble and all these things in our lives and, and geopolitically and bigger scale, small scale. He, he allows all that just like he did in Job's life. But you know what? Ours too, our lives. But God's in control and God sets limits on him. And he can only do what he is allowed to do by God because God's more powerful. Satan's created. The triune God that we serve, limitless. Wow. You guys. Got to get through this, otherwise you're not going to make the 210 showing. Verse 14, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she may fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times, and half a time for the presence from the presence of the serpent. The times we're talking about there are references to years, a time, times, and half a time. I can't really do the half, but that's three and a half years. The woman is taken, Israel. She escapes. The abomination of desecration happens. She doesn't go back. They don't go back for their stuff. They hightail it. They know exactly where to go. A place is preserved for them. Petra, and one of the reasons why it's been so preserved is because the entrance into that location is only about 12 feet wide. So armies, tanks, armored personnel carriers, whatever you want to call it, they can't get in there. They're, they go there, and they're protected for a time, times, and half a time, three and a half years. Verse 15, so the serpent spewed water out of its mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. And indeed, that's what will happen. The Antichrist being powered by the dragon, by Satan, sending his forces that he'll have at his fingertips, no doubt. Armies and troops will be flooding after them, chasing them down, because as they see who he really is, the Antichrist, at that moment, as they see that, they flee, and the floods of the armies of Antichrist will be taken after them, but they make it. Verse 16, but the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. There is another account in Numbers that you could look up that that very same thing happened. But this would be apparently a grander scale. This would be a, an opening or a, in the earth that would perhaps swallow up a whole army. Verse 17, watch this. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Interesting little note there. The dragon's there waiting for the child to be born to devour and destroy because I need to break up all these prophecies. Otherwise, it's all going to come true. And just as he goes, whoa, whoops. Jesus ascends. He's caught up to be with his father. Well, that doesn't work, so fine. Throughout the rest of my time, I'm going to make life a living hell for the Jews and for Israel, and I'll go after them in full rage, and indeed he has. 
There's been great and terrible sufferings from the Jewish people for centuries. But then as he tries in the future to abolish them all once and for all and destroy them all, that is thwarted too. <sighs> Enraged? Fine. I'll go after her offspring. And that is what leads us to the understanding of the tribulation saint. The ones who are saved during the tribulation. There is hope. There is those people. And I know this is time's running long and we're going to cut this short. I'm going to close with this. There is hope for people. Even after the rapture happens and you and I are gone, there's still hope for people. That's the grace and mercy of the Lord. To even then, it's not too late. Yes, it'll be a terrible, tumultuous time, of course. No one wants to live through that, and that's why you and I have a job to do. To share the gospel, to have the conversations, to initiate conversations, as we've said before, already knowing the answer, the answer is Jesus. To get people to wake up. This is the most exciting time in all of history and humankind to live. It really is. Do you know revival is breaking out? I was watching something on uh, YouTube the other, last night, Asbury University. Unbelievable. It's still going. And I listened to the 26-minute teaching, and I thought, ah, great teaching. Well, good teacher. I, very good. But, you know, he talked about love. Do we love one another? And he prayed that the Holy Spirit would move up and down the aisles and touch every heart. And guess what? It hasn't stopped. That was February 6th. God is moving. He's getting people prepared and ready. And even non-believers, secular people know something's up. And it's our job to tell them what's up. And finally, guess what? You're going through pain and heartache and tribulation right now. Jesus said that would happen. God is allowing it for a reason. There's something holy and sacred in suffering. In God's economy, there's something to the whole suffering thing. Because he's doing something in you and I. And he allows that to come upon us. And perhaps it's something very evil and wicked and sinful. And something that he's allowing Satan to utilize in our lives to bring that suffering upon us. Guess what, though? Here's the cool thing. Is that, what have we talked about today? Satan is limited. He can only go so far. And when you want to you give up hope, you're so demoralized, you're like, I'm done. It's over. I just want it all to end. Guess what? Nope. God's bigger than that. God is in control. He's in control of your life. He's in control of mine. And we surrender that to him. Every single moment of every single day, we surrender and give him control. And so I would invite you something going on in your life, we're going to close and have the worship team come on up. But something's going on in your life, struggles, suffering, we want to pray with you. We'll be up here. There's going to be a, a group of people over by the cross, some maybe up front here. But we want to pray for you. We know it's tough times. We're all with you. We're all in the same boat. But it's exciting times too. Yes, evil wickedness is being carried out before our very eyes, but good things are happening too. We're filled with hope, amen? And perhaps you don't know Jesus as your Savior. If you're here today, I would recommend you don't leave those doors without getting that settled in your heart. Asking Jesus 
to come in and be your personal savior. Understanding, first of all, that you're a sinner and you need to turn away from that sin and repent and asking Jesus to come into your heart, accepting that free gift of salvation. Why? So that you can have a relationship with him, number one, and he can pour out blessings upon you and your life. You'll never be the same again. Your walk will completely change. And then you get to be with him in heaven forever. And then potentially get to be part of an awesome thing that's going to happen, which I believe will be very soon. The rapture. I want to be caught up, don't you? Get that settled in your heart today. Today is a day of salvation. Don't leave here until you do. Amen? So come on up afterwards. We want to be here and we want to pray with you. And I'm going to close in prayer as the guys, uh, the worship team comes on up here. Father, thank you so much for these awesome people your flock. Lord, and their patience is unbelievable for me to rattle along, but Lord, I believe it's things that need to be said. Lord, this is your word. And in a world today that we have seen deception on an unbelievable scale, being hit on us from every angle and every direction, Lord, we're going to combat that with truth. And where do we find that? In your word. Your word went out today, Lord. And again, Holy Spirit, I would just ask, Holy Spirit, please move on hearts today. Those who would hear this message, Father, this came from you. And you're telling your people that you are in control. You, you are triumphant. The death, death had no power over you. You left an empty tomb and you ascended into heaven. And now you extend your salvation to us. And yes, there's trials. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's things that we endure. But Lord, you are in control of all of it. An enemy who wants to devour and murder and accuse us, Lord, we can flick him off of our shoulders like nothing through your power because of the victory that you've given us, Lord. So, Lord, be lifted up, we pray. As we close this service in a worship song, move mightily on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.